Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent. We gather as a diverse and inclusive spiritual community that seeks to inspire love, work for justice, and grow in community. No matter your gender, age, economic status, political affiliations, affectional or sexual orientation, spirituality or beliefs, you are welcome here. In this spirit, we extend a special welcome to our visitors. Thank you for getting up this morning and coming to be with us today. Kind friends all gathered round There's something I would say Blessed us all today. Love has made a circle that holds us all inside. Where strangers are as family and loneliness can't hide. You must give yourself to love if love is what you're after. Open up your hearts to tears and laughter give yourself to love give yourself to love I've walked these mountains in the rain I've learned to love the wind I've been up before the sunrise to watch the day begin I always do have found you though I never did know how sunshine on a cloudy day you stand before me now you must give yourself to love if love is what you're after open up your hearts to the tears and laughter give yourself to love give yourself to love is born in fire, it's planted like a seed, love can give everything, but it gives you what you need, love comes when you're ready, love comes when you're afraid, it'll be your greatest teacher, the best friend you have made, so give yourself to love. Is what you're after. Open up your hearts to tears and laughter. Give yourself to love. Give yourself to love. Give yourself to love. Give yourself to love. I have always been immensely proud of where I grew up. Massachusetts is a state steeped in early American history, from the Pilgrim Settlement in Plymouth, to Boston Harbor's Tea Party, to Concord and Lexington, where the shot heard round the world occurred. As a young child in elementary school, up through high school, 
I felt immensely patriotic and proud to be a Bay Stater, proud to be an American. I thought of myself as a loyal patriot with a deep commitment to my country. I knew that the first thing I would do on my 18th birthday would be register to vote, and so I did some 40 years ago. Since then, I honestly tell you, I have missed one local primary election. I trusted the process. I trusted our elected leaders. I trusted my neighbors to do their part for the good of our nation. Truth be told, over time, there were doubts that crept in and began to erode my trust. I am old enough to remember the bombing of Laos, Watergate, and President Nixon's resignation in disgrace. I remember the Iran-Contra affair, the support of many questionable regimes in Central America and around the world. I remember Desert Storm and weapons of mass destruction, presidential and congressional sexcapades, and so many other nefarious events and lies right up to and including the present. Each and all of these events have slowly eroded my trust in the American people and in our government to uphold the intent of our Constitution. I'm not sure how this makes you feel, but I feel a sense of betrayal. How shall I, no, how shall we learn to trust again? Come, let us worship together. Each week as we gather in this sacred space, we speak words that affirm that we trust one another on our shared journey and we trust life itself to guide us on our way. These words are our covenant, our promise to walk together toward the lives we seek to lead. Would you join me now in those words which are in your order of service? Love, love is, is the spirit of this church. church and service is love. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to tell one another. Our covenant response hymn is number 396, I Know This Rose Will Open. I invite the children, young at heart, to come up for one of my favoriteest stories in the whole world. This story is called The Best Pet of All. On Monday, 
I asked my mother if I could have a dog. A dog is a good pet, I said. No, she said. Dogs are too messy. Do you think dogs are too messy? They're cute. They're cute? Yeah. Messy. <laughs> no, they're not too messy. On Tuesday, what do you think I asked my mother? Could I have a dog? A dog is a very good pet, I said. No, she said, dogs are too loud. Are dogs too loud? No. Yes. No? Yes? <laughs> Wednesday, I asked my mother one more time, could I have a dog? A dog is the best pet of all, she said. No, she said, no dogs. On Thursday, I asked my mother if I could have a dragon. A dragon, she said? I have never heard of a dragon for a pet. She thought a bit. If you can find a dragon, you can keep it for a pet. Dragons are not easy to find, let me tell you. There were no dragons in the park. There were no dragons at the beach. There were no dragons in the woods. There were no dragons at the zoo. Where would you go look for a dragon? You'd look for in a cave? I'd go to Hogwarts and look for a dragon, personally. <laughs> well, so do you, is he going to find a dragon? Yep. Yeah. Oh. At last, I found a dragon. The dragon was in the drugstore. He was wearing dark glasses and a hat. I asked the dragon to come home with me, and the dragon said, no. You can sleep in my bed, I said. He still would not come. You can play with my toys, I said. The dragon said yes. Dragons like to play with toys, but they don't like to put them away. They don't like to help with chores, and they make a terrible mess in the kitchen. They roast hot dogs in the living room, and they dance all night long to loud music. Can you imagine? My mother did not like this dragon. She asked the dragon to please leave, and the dragon would not leave. Then she told the dragon to leave now, and the dragon still would not go. Finally, my mother got angry. She stomped her foot. She told the dragon to leave this minute or else. Oh, the dragon just shook his head and went back to eating spaghetti in the bathtub. Too bad we do not have a dog, I said. <laughs> Dragons don't like dogs. <laughs> the dragon looked worried. Dragons are afraid of dogs, I said. The dragon began to shake. A dog would chase the dragon away, I said. The dragon ran to my toy box and jumped inside. Maybe you are right, my mother said. Maybe we need a dog. I put a sign in the window, dog wanted. Soon, there was a knock at the door. Who do you suppose it was? Dragon. Wasn't a dragon. <laughs> it was a dog. And the dragon saw the dog. The dragon grabbed his hat and ran out the door. See, away he goes. And there he goes. Thank goodness we have a dog, said my mother. A dog is a very good pet.
My dog wagged its tail. Yes, I said, a dog is the best pet of all. <laughs> so which would you rather have? Would you rather have a dog or a dragon? A dog. A dog? Yeah? Huh? Oh, you want a dragon? <laughs> what would you do with a dragon? <laughs> yes? Oh, so maybe you're a bit of a dragon too because you don't pick your toys up? <laughs> yeah, so a dragon would be right at home in your room? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> so, huh? You'd rather, you'd rather have a cat. Well, cats have inherent worth and dignity too, yes. <laughs> All right. So. A tiger butler. Oh, I kind of like that idea, too. Well, thanks for coming up. It's time for you to go to your classes and activities, and we're going to sing together. These are the words of the Reverend Steve Holmes. Begin with gratitude for all you have received that you see and that you do not see. Let your gratitude grow into trust that you are included in a great wonder and entrust yourself to the grace you are given. Let your trust blossom into compassion for all those who are also part of this oneness, who have been excluded, used, or targeted. Let your compassion flourish into solidarity, knowing you are one with those who suffer and that their wholeness is part of yours. Let your solidarity bear fruit in justice, working for freedom and fullness of life for all against evil and oppression. And when you are most challenged by the forces of injustice, most weary and discouraged, returned to gratitude, gratitude that you are guided, accompanied, empowered, and saved, and entrust yourself once again to love. I will be your standing stone. I will stand by you. I will be your standing stone, I will stand by you. I will be your standing stone, I will stand by you. I will be your standing stone, I will stand Our first reading by Boyd Matheson. We face a crisis of trust. Inspector General reports of insubordination and bias. IRS targeting citizens. Politicians using character assassination as a strategy. Fake news perpetuated on social media. Congress failing to act on critical issues. All of these represent a portion of a growing crisis in America, a crisis of trust. Trust in government, 
remains near historic lows. The bigger crisis is that the distrust perpetuated by big government and large organizations has begun to fray the fabric of trust in our communities and even in our personal relationships. As the foundation of trust is eroded, people become more isolated, more tribal, and less likely to engage in meaningful dialogue. Sadly, distrust has become the standard starting point for relationships with organizations and our fellow citizens. Interestingly, while trust in those we at least somewhat know has plummeted, we are somehow comfortable having someone we have never met give us a ride in an Uber, and we allow complete strangers to stay in our homes through Airbnb. Social media has provided a disconnect from real relationships and the core component of trust. There are two keys to building or restoring trust, developing personal relationships and establishing thick institutions. Trust comes naturally through shared experiences and conversations. Such relationships are not only essential to thriving communities, they are the only way to help those who are struggling. A longtime professional counselor was once asked, which program really can transform lives? The counselor without hesitation replied, I've never seen a program transform a life. The only thing that can transform a life is a relationship. Such relationships are also the only way to change our communities. Author David Brooks uses the term thick institutions to describe organizations that build trust and leave a mark on those who interact with the institution. These groups develop trust through shared space, shared values, shared tasks, and shared rituals. Providing a space for people to come together fosters trust and creates meaningful anchors to individuals, families, and neighborhoods. Combining meaningful relationships of trust and strong, trustworthy institutions is what creates a vibrant society and a better America. While our trust in government will continue to be challenged by the actions of some, we cannot let it undermine, erode, or destroy our trust in each other. The future of our communities and our country will require enormous amounts of trust. We must do what we can to build trust in our institutions.
while always being trustworthy ourselves. Trust by Thomas R. Smith. It's like so many other things in life to which you must say no or yes. So you take your car to the new mechanic. Sometimes the best thing to do is trust. The package left with the disreputable looking clerk, the check gulped by the night deposit, the envelope passed by dozens of strangers, all show up at their intended destinations. The theft that could have happened doesn't. Wind finally gets to where it was going through the snowy trees. And the river, even when frozen, arrives at the right place. And sometimes you sense how faithfully your life is delivered, even though you can't read the address. It's a mystery. How is it we can trust a dog to protect us from a dragon and to guard our house, yet we can't trust them with that roast beef sandwich on the counter? Trust is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something plays an important role in our everyday lives. Have you ever stopped to think about how many times you practice trust in the course of a day? This week I kept a journal for a day in which I recorded events and times where trust played a part of my activities. It was everything from relying on hot water in the shower to depending on other drivers to stop at red lights and stop signs and yet paying attention and driving defensively, feeling assured that the lunch I ate was safe and nutritious, and feeling confident the post office will deliver the mail I put in the box complete with checks that I expect the bank to honor when they're received. No less important was trusting myself to make good choices about the day's priorities, to respond appropriately to others, and to feel safe in the world. In a moment of inspiration, I wrote an oxymoron in my journal that I have complete trust that the president and government officials are lying to me. There's an article titled The Death of Trust by Robert Morley in which he asked, do you trust those around you? Do you trust the government, the police? Do you trust the financial system? What about scientists, religious authorities, academia? And his answer is grim. If you are like most Americans, the answer is no. Or at least not nearly as much as you used to. Writer Margie Worrell says, Trust is the currency of influence in every one of our relationships at every level, in every system. Every action we take, every conversation we have, every encounter with another, every, however fleeting, therein is the opportunity for our currency of trust to be built or eroded. It takes years to build, but only moments to lose. There is no short path to regaining trust once it's lost. She concludes by saying, other times, there is no path at all. 
We've all had experiences in our lives where trust has been lost or eroded by us or by others. It might have happened early in our lives with a parent who wasn't present or consistent in their care for us. It might have been in a romantic relationship or with family, perhaps to the extent we no longer speak to that person. A bad experience with a business or an educational institution, or as Elaine said in the call to worship with our government and elected officials, or unfortunately with the church. In my 20s, I was still a practicing Catholic as I struggled with my sexuality. I was having a particularly rough time, so I went to confession. I wanted some reassurance. I wanted something to help me. When the priest told me I would burn in hell just for being gay, I replied, you can go to hell, and walked out. In that one moment, the 20-some years of trust I'd given the Catholic Church, gone. So I really rebelled. I became an Episcopalian. <laughs> you see where I am now, Wally. <laughs> so there are theories about trust and how it's changed over time. There's a TED Talk titled A World Where We Trust Strangers in which Rachel Botsman talks about the, how trust has evolved and that it's only had three major chapters through history. She describes these three chapters as local, institutional, and what we're now entering, distributed. For most of our history until the mid-1800s, trust was about close relationships. People knew each one other. They lived in small communities. Trust was local and based in being mutually accountable. You knew from experience who you could and couldn't trust. In the mid-19th century, as society went through a, a tremendous amount of change and there was so much growth, people began to move to the cities. And the local banker who knew us by name was replaced by a large corporation that didn't know us as an individual. So we began to place our trust in social institutions like the military, the police, government, the media, public education, things like credit reports. This model's failing. That's probably no surprise. There's been constant scandal and major breaches of trust. In the last 25 years, public confidence has dropped sharply for institutions, including the church, the media, the presidency, Congress, and public schools. This failure of trust affects the very fabric of our societies you heard in the first reading. Boyd Matheson says, trust in government remains near historic lows. The bigger crisis is that the distrust perpetuated by big government and large organizations has begun to fray trust in our communities and even in our personal relationships. He goes on, as the foundation of trust is eroded, people become more isolated, more tribal, and less likely to engage in meaningful dialogue. Sadly, trust has now become the starting point for relationships with organizations and our fellow citizens. We face a serious crisis of trust. According to another writer, we live disconnected, separate from our extended families and sometimes even from our nuclear families. Our towns and neighborhoods are less connected and our faith in institutions is at an all-time low. So Rachel Botsman has a technical take on this problem. She argues that the issue with institutional trust is that it wasn't designed for the digital age. We haven't lost trust in one another completely, 
But we're in the middle of a huge cultural shift into a new phase, a new type of trust. And with it, there are whole new conventions and ways in how trust is being built, managed, lost and repaired, whether it's brands, leaders, or entire systems. There are new ways of interacting, such as Uber, Airbnb, Tinder, Amazon, and the internet, all of which are creating new opportunities to trust one another. She says that trust is no longer top-down. It's being broken apart and turned upside down. There's a new recipe for trust emerging that is once again distributed amongst people and accountability-based. As with any systemic change, it's going to take time and ironically trust in new ways of doing things as we learn about them. In the second reading, Thomas Smith said of trust, so you take your car to the new mechanic. Sometimes the best thing to do is to trust. The package that's left with a disreputable looking clerk, the check that's gulped by the night deposit, the envelope passed by dozens of strangers, Somehow they all show up at their intended destinations. The theft that might have happened doesn't. Sometimes the best thing to do is to trust. In the first reading, Boyd Matheson told us two ways to build or restore trust. Developing personal relationships and establishing thick institutions. He said that trust comes naturally through shared experiences and conversations. These relationships are essential to thriving communities, and they're the only way to help people who are struggling and the only way to change our communities. The second way is the thick institution, which is an organization that builds trust and affects those who are part of it, like this church. Trust is developed through sharing space, sharing values, sharing tasks, and sharing rituals. A thick institution provides a space for people to come together and it fosters trust and creates meaningful anchors to individuals, families, and neighborhoods. He concludes by saying, combining meaningful relationships of trust and strong, trustworthy institutions creates a vibrant society. As Unitarian Universalists, trust is at the center of our faith. Our association is built on trust both in one another and the very spirit of life itself. Our UU statement of principles ends with these words. As free congregations, we enter into this covenant, promising to one another our mutual trust and support. One of our primary tasks as a religious community is to respond to the decline of trust in our society and the breakdown of relationships that comes with it by developing and deepening personal relationships and by being a thick institution in which we build trust through sharing space, sharing values, sharing the work of ministry, and participating in shared rituals. In creating a thick institution, we are also responding to the isolation and alienation people are experiencing in our postmodern world by offering a community that at its best meets the fundamental human needs to belong, to be heard, and to feel like we have a place in the world. Our covenant, which I spoke of earlier as a promise to walk together toward the lives we seek to lead, is an expression of our trust in one another and our commitment to making a place for each other here, a place where healthy conflict is possible because we know that we can each speak our truth 
and allow others to speak their truth with mutual respect and open hearts and minds. We're creating a safe place where it's okay to be vulnerable, a place where we reveal our authentic selves to each other, sharing our weaknesses and fears, as well as our strength and power. We encourage others to do so too. For those of you who participate in one of our chalice groups, a monthly gathering where people go deep about their lives as they explore a spiritual topic, you know how meaningful and powerful this kind of vulnerability and intimacy are when there's trust. Being able to go deep with others through listening well and offering trust and honesty is an opportunity to create relationships that are not hidden behind computer screens or begin by swiping right, but are real-time encounters that invite us to experience the divine face-to-face in the eyes of a human being right there in front of us and to accompany one another on this mysterious, sometimes terrifying, and yet amazing journey we call life. Trust is deep spiritual work. One of my colleagues writes, trust in other people is vital from a religious and spiritual standpoint. Trust in other people is a living symbol of our being able to experience the web of life that enfolds all of us as trustworthy. We can trust life. It is one of the significant ways in which we experience the mysterious ground of our being by whatever we name it as trustworthy. Trust is what allows us to be at home in our world. Trust is finally an act of faith because it allows us to proceed through life knowing somehow, some way, things will work out. Wind finally gets where it was going and the river, even when frozen, arrives at the right place. And sometimes you sense how faithfully your life is delivered even though you can't read the address. May we know that the act of trust makes us stronger, more fully human. May we commit ourselves to trusting one another in life itself. May we continue to build together a community of trust, a community in which we know we belong, a community from which we can go out into the world more trusting and more trustworthy. May it be so, and through trust, we can make it so together. Fight us into a few moments of reflection. Reverend Doug Taylor says, trust is not just an attitude or perspective on life. Trust is not just a condition of believing, for example, that everything will work out. It is that, but it is more. To trust is an act of faith that things ultimately will work out, that all will be well. Now blessed by this time together and renewed in our commitment to be a community of people who trust one another and trust that life will show us the way in the days to come, let us go forth in joy and in hope to continue inspiring love, seeking justice, and growing in community. May it be so. Blessed be. And amen.